We're going to begin a series on 2 Peter. We're going to go through the entire book. Don't know exactly how long it'll take us, but probably between four and seven weeks. Turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Today we're going to study the first 15 verses of this book. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse 4, for by these... He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, verse 9, is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, The entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Verse 12. Therefore, I I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly, earthly dwelling is imminent. As, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Lord, help us as we study. Peter is an amazing man. He starts off by calling himself a, a bondservant. Now in our language, bondservant is pretty undefined, but in the Greek, it's the word doulos, which means slave. Peter, a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has a big title in that Jesus pretty much designated him at the start of the church to be the leader of the church, and he could go ahead and pull rank and say, you need to listen to me because I am. Instead, He decides to come in the attitude that Jesus did, who did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, Philippians 2, but humbled himself, became a man, and submitted himself to death, even as a man. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name. So Peter took that example and said, even though I've got a title, that title doesn't afford me any influence in your life if I don't have the right attitude. I come as a slave of Christ, one who must obey him just like you. I'm under authority and the same authority you're under. I'm a slave. What humility. 
And in his introduction, he says, I'm writing to a certain group of people, people of the same kind of faith as ours. Now, we also know from chapter 3, verse 1, that he says, I'm writing to you again. So these same group of people who have the same kind of faith as his are receiving a second letter. And we believe the first letter was 1 Peter. Now, it's possible that Peter could have written other letters that were not canonized, put in Scripture. But we think that, and church scholars do, that because the early church regarded this as the second letter that followed the first and written to the same people, that we ought to do the same. And those people were in the cities of Cappadocia and Bithynia and Galatia, the region we now know as Turkey, which evidenced Peter's obedience to reach out beyond himself that though for the first 10 years of his ministry, he primarily reached Jews who were like him in Jerusalem, living in Jerusalem and Judea, he was expanded by God's command to go beyond himself and reach people like us who didn't have a Jewish background. And indeed, even though it was difficult and it was not popular with the Jewish people, the people who were Christians and Jewish, he did it anyway and now had influence in areas where Jews were not the primary target. And he says, I'm writing to you all who have the same kind of faith as ours. Oh, I believe it was a faith passed down, but not only a faith passed down. Not just an historical faith. Not just a faith to which we can point and say, this is proper orthodoxy. To believe that God is one and, and, and there is a trinity. And Jesus died and was buried and rose again and now lives evermore and he is the son of God and salvation only comes through him. All those things are important and true and you got to hold on to them. But I think he's talking about much more than just mental assent to theological points. I think he's talking about the kind of faith that changes the world, that changes lives, the same kind of faith as ours, the kind of faith that is living, not dead. James talks about faith that is dead. He said, oh, the demons have a thought about who Jesus is. They understand him theologically, yet it doesn't matter. Theological understanding of who Jesus is doesn't change anything. It's only when faith is kicked in and becomes living that reality begins to change, including yours. He says the same kind of faith as ours. This is a man who began, as a result of preaching, began the church. The Holy Spirit, Jesus we know we're the, the, the authors of the church, but this is a man through whom God began to move and the church began in Jerusalem. This is a man who, when he didn't have time to reach everybody in a, in a moment of revival when folks were getting saved and, and people needed healing, didn't have time. He was walking from one place to another, just walking, just going from point A to point B. And when his shadow hit folk that were sick, they got healed. Just a shadow. Now, normally, we could say in moments like that that people, maybe the recipient was expecting something, that there was some kind of faith that drew out the virtue from the person from whom they received healing. But in this case, this had never been done before. And the shadow passed on somebody, and they weren't expecting that the shadow was going to heal them. How did it happen? Somehow or another, the Holy Spirit Jesus himself was oozing through Peter's spiritual pores such, to such an extent that anybody who came in contact with anything that felt like him got, got spiritually impacted and physically motivated. Their body changed. That kind of faith, 
he says, is mine. And I'm writing to the same people who have that kind of faith. Now, if you don't have that kind of faith, faith to change your reality, maybe you haven't seen a healing. Maybe you haven't seen a demon cast out. We believe those things still occur today. But if you have seen something with respect to your reality changing as a result of your faith, you're going to hear this message differently because that's the people to whom Peter is writing. He's writing to those folk. Now, if you aren't those folk, if you just try to use your faith to get to heaven, if you just try to use your faith to get on by, just hopefully make it to another day. You're still going to get something out of this, but you won't get what Peter intended for you to get out of it because he's writing to people with the same kind of faith as his. So if you fit in the, in, in, in the latter category, it's my hope that you would raise your level of faith and expectancy so you can receive what Peter wants you to get out of this letter. He's writing to people like that. These are just his introductory comments. And then he gets into the blessing in the context of his letter. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Now I'm going to reverse these two verses. In that I'm going to speak about verse 3 before I speak about verse 2. Because the grammar states that verse 3 is the foundation for verse 2. Let me repeat it. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So the seeing refers to the grace and peace, and that grace and peace are the things that rest upon the divine power. To say it differently, Peter could have said, since he has given us all this stuff that pertains to life and godliness through his power... Grace and peace be multiplied to you. We have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. You lack nothing. You believe in Jesus Christ, you lack nothing. Now, you do lack the manifestation of all he's given you. But you do not lack the material stuff to make the manifestation flow. I garden reluctantly. Don't like it at all. Don't like putting my hands in the dirt. Don't like dealing with mosquitoes when I have to, to weed and, go, and, and, and cultivate. Don't like harvesting. I mean, it's good to bring it in, but I don't like being in the hot sun. Don't like anything about gardening, but I love my wife. So I garden. And every time I go out there and plow that soil, and, and I put a seed down there, it's seeds is a little, little, little thing, mustard greens. Mm, They're good, though. Little seed. Corn, little seed. But everything to make that plant be what it's supposed to be is on the inside of that seed. That seed lacks nothing to become what it needs to become. All it needs is the right environment to grow. You lack nothing. Everything that pertains to life and godliness has been given to you. You lack nothing. All you need now is the right environment to make it grow. So make sure you are weeding the garden of your soul on a regular basis. Not letting anything compete for the resources necessary to make that plant thrive. Make sure you are cultivating it so that it produces the kind of fruit that you can enjoy and everybody else around you. You have been given everything. The seed of the gospel has allowed you the privilege of becoming what you need to become in any circumstance as long as you remain on the planet. 
everything that pertains to life and godliness through God's great glory and excellence. And he does everything in an excellent way. Now, as a result of having these things, he then defines what some of these things are. He says, grace and peace, which have come as a result of him providing all this through his great power, grace and peace be multiplied to you. I don't need grace added to me. I need it multiplied. I need it expanded exponentially to me because I'm a mess. I know who I am. I need more grace on a regular basis. And let me define grace for you. Although grace is usually defined as that what you say before you eat. Let's hope at least you use it that way. Grace is much more than that. It is God's unmerited favor towards you. The grace package includes your destiny. It includes the favor that he wants to give you when you walk in and out of doors, that people speak well of you when you leave, and they can't wait for you to show up. It includes the mercy that you need to be forgiven. It includes his love. It includes all the provision that you have. Grace package is that which God has given in order to accept you and bring you in the beloved and call you his very own, for by grace you have been saved. And that grace package allows you the privilege of saying not only have you received it, but now I want to multiply it to you. So you now get it and you get it in spades. Grace, and this is not just a guy who happens to be a nice brother in the Lord trying to figure out how to say a nice religious prayer. This is an emissary, a delegated ambassador of Almighty God, the leader of the church, beginning to pronounce a word of encouragement and blessing to the saints. He's not just saying nice stuff. He is declaring things. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Oh, I want grace multiplied to me. I need more today than I did yesterday, and I'll need more tomorrow than I got today. I need it multiplied. You don't need it multiplied if you're not going to do something great, though, because you got to be people who are the same kind of faith as Peter. Oh, you already got grace to go to heaven. You don't need it multiplied for that. But you do need it multiplied to see your kids stay right. Become a better parent every day. You need grace multiplied. God have mercy. We need grace multiplied. And peace. Never, ever dismiss peace. Peace is just a wonderful gift. It allows you, in the midst of storms and difficult circumstances, to keep your head when everybody else is losing theirs. Losing their minds, peace. It's not that you ignore the circumstances around you. It's that you say, I see those, but I see other. I see my God who is doing something different in the midst of these circumstances. So I'm able to keep peaceful in this environment. Even though it looks like life is falling apart, I know my God. You don't lose your faith. You don't begin to doubt. You don't go into cynicism. You hold on because peace is being multiplied to you daily. And when this grace and peace is multiplied, he says in verse 4, for by these, for by these, and I believe he's referring to the grace and the peace. Some would say he's referring to the glory and the excellence. But because I believe he's taking verse 3 as a foundation for the grace and the peace, I think he's referring back to verse 2, which means for by these, grace and peace, he has granted us his precious and magnificent promise. These promises in Scripture are so important. You need to read your Bible every day. Every day. You don't need to make 
your intake of spiritual knowledge just the Sunday morning hour you spend with us. Every day you need to read your Bible. Well, Pastor, I ain't no minister or nothing. You are, a, you are a child of Almighty God that the enemy hates. And he's going to do everything he possibly can to try to take you out and dissuade you from what you believe in. And he knows the word better than you. And he'll, he'll even use scripture against you. Try to do it with Jesus. It's important that you get in this thing and understand what God's will is for you so that when the enemy begins to, to wage war against you, you can wage war against him with the word. That's the only way you can win. Only way you can win. He has granted to us through grace and peace these precious and magnificent promises. What would you say to a person who had a very wealthy uncle who loved them as their nephew or niece and they left them in their will $10 million? But the person decided not to show up for the executor's reading of the will. And they just ignored the entire thing thinking, well, it really doesn't matter that much, does it? I'll be okay. You'd look at them and say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You got, do you know? Do you know? Know what? You didn't show up for the reading. We couldn't find you. Where'd you go? Eh, I just thought I'd go on vacation. It's been 10 years... That's the way all of heaven looks at us when we realize that somebody had to die to get these promises to us. And we just ignore our Bibles every day. There, there are riches on the end. Precious and magnificent are the promises that God has for us. And we need to know what they are. Why? So that we can become partakers of the divine nature. Now, as I say this, let me, let me say emphatically, you are not God and never will be. But he does want you to be like him. You are made in his image, and it is our responsibility to continue to try to figure out how we can get that image to be seen, manifest in our life, so we can be more like him on the planet, so other people can understand what his purpose is for their life, and they can come to the knowledge of the truth. We can partake of the divine nature by understanding what these precious and magnificent promises are. John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1. The Word was given personality. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus without having a relationship with His Word. And the closer you get to His Word and the more you understand it, the more you will understand Jesus, the greater relationship you'll have to him. So you want to grow? You want to figure out how you can become more like him and partake of his divine nature? You need to get in these covenant promises. You need to get in these precious and magnificent words and allow those things to, to get on the inside of you so that you can also escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. I ask people how they're doing all the time. How you doing? Well, I'm struggling. What that means is bad. I'm doing bad. Defeat, failure is their portion more than victory. They are not overcoming. They're giving in to lust. They're giving in to greed. They're giving in to malice and anger and bitterness and, and envy. They let their thoughts just run around in their brain without capturing them. They don't take them captive. They don't arrest them. And the, those thoughts begin to get down in their soul and they contaminate their soul. And now they are engaged in wrong desires. 
And the Bible says if we will get in this word and let it begin to permeate our lives, we can escape, not give in to, not become entrapped, but escape the corruption, all the corruption that's in this world through lust. You want to have victory over depression? The Bible has a lot to say about that. Now, as I say this, please, if you are taking medication, if you're with a psychiatrist, keep taking your pills. I'm not telling you not to take your pills. Take your pills, go see your psychiatrist, lie on his couch, pay you $175 an hour. But I want you to know, David was in your situation. Psalms 39 through 45, read them. He was in your situation. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? He began to talk to his soul. When he was depressed, and he was depressed. Why are you down? And he would talk about his depression. Lord, where are you? I can't find you. I don't know what's happened. I've served you. I've done right. Why? My soul is just a mess. My, my, my tears are my food every night. This is what David said. You can't get more depressed than that. And the brother said, wait a minute now. I know God. I know my God. I know his word. I know his promises. Why are you downcast, soul? Put your hope in God. You're going to trust in God again. You're going to live. He's going to care for you. you got to preach to yourself. The word can change the way you think and the way you feel. These precious and magnificent promises can have an effect on your psyche to such a degree that whatever the chemical imbalance you might have is... It changes because now you are producing things on the inside with the word that are actually changing the chemical imbalance in your brain. Now, do I have any science for that? No. So keep taking your pills. But make sure, make sure that you are reading your Bible and watch how the effects of the word will change your life and keep you out of the corruption that is in this world. Now, this comes through the grace package, through the peace multiply, being multiplied to us. Our response is this. This is what we need to do next. He says, for this reason, because God has supplied all of this for you, all this is yours if you want it. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. The precious and magnificent promises escape from the world. The exit doors all over the place where you don't have to give into lust and be burned down in the building as the building comes around you. You can actually get out. All this is, is, is yours. For this reason then, verse 5, and applying all diligence. Say diligence. We're going to have to be diligent in this. You have to work. For this reason, applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. Remember he talked about faith as ours? He said, I, you, you, we got the same kind of faith now. But I want you to know, you need some additives to your faith. You got, you got, to, got to put some things with it. In your faith, supply moral excellence. He didn't say moral mediocrity. He said moral excellence. So whatever morality looks like to you, with the adjective definer as excellent, do that. In your male and female relationships, do that. Be morally excellent in your faith. Don't just be a little bit better than the worst guy you know, the worst girl you know. Be excellent. Worship God and honor him in your morality. Love purity and prize it. Not just because anybody might pat you on the back. You don't need that, but because God will be pleased. To your moral excellence knowledge, he gives back to Get in his Bible. Read. Understand more about him. To your moral excellence knowledge. Add to your knowledge self-control. Learn how to reign in your soul on a regular basis. 
Say, I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to control my life. I'm going to control my eyes. I'm going to control what I feel. I'm going to do that. I can tell my feelings how to feel. I do not have to submit to the way I feel when I feel bad. I, I don't have to be guided by my feelings. I can go ahead and make sure that my feelings are under the reign of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell my feelings how they ought to feel. To your self-control perseverance. You don't quit. You just keep on going. You never quit is a four-letter word for a Christian. We keep persevering. We do not stop. We don't quit on God. We don't quit on our families. We don't quit on our employers. We just don't quit. Now I'm not saying you can't change jobs. Just context, context. <laughs> to your perseverance at godliness. Piety, holiness, purity, fearing God every day. To your godliness, add brotherly kindness. Why? Because you can actually be serving God and be hypocritical in your service to humanity. If, if we're going to worship God well, we must serve people well. You cannot separate your worship of God from how you treat folk. So he says, add godliness to all this, but then brotherly kindness too, to make sure that you're not being a hypocrite and just having your vertical relationship right, right without your horizontal relationship. To your brotherly kindness, you add love. Agape is the word there unconditional love. Why? Because in your brotherly kindness to your brother or sister, they will give you a reason not to be kind to them. They'll give you a reason not to love them. So you must now add agape, which is, I love you unconditionally. I love you for no good reason at all. I just choose to. You can violate every reason that you think I would love you. It won't matter because I love you for no good reason at all. I just choose to. That's the way God loves us. And he says, if these qualities are yours. So the, these, these are the things we need to do in response to this grace and peace being multiplied, the, 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 everything pertaining to life and godliness. And then this is the result. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, say increasing, they, they don't only need to be yours, they need to be increasing. You need to grow in this area. You need more love, more self-control. You need more perseverance. You didn't, increasing. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Which means this, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you wind up on the short list of when God has something that he needs done in the earth. He's trying to find somebody. You're on the short list. I can use them because they are useful. And they are always fruitful when they do what they do. They always produce fruit. There are a lot of Christians who are very good. But they are, they are good for, I didn't say it, but you know what I didn't say. They're, they're useless. They're useless. They're going to heaven, but they are useless. They don't have any skills. They don't get in this Bible and try to figure out how to help the world. They don't have any skills in how to be a parent. They don't know what it means to be a husband or wife. They don't know what it means to be a good friend. They don't know what the Bible has to say about the money. They are useless on the planet. God loves them, cares for them. They're going to heaven, but they aren't making any difference here. You add these qualities to your life, and you make sure they are increasing. You will never be useless, and you will always bear fruit for God. Now, anybody make a cake before and it not come out right? Ah, if, if, you, if you haven't done that, you haven't baked. Of course, you may. And, and what do you do when it didn't come out right? You sit there and you go back to the recipe, don't you? You say, now, 
where did I miss it? Because this sure doesn't taste like mama's. It doesn't taste nothing. Mama, don't, mama doesn't know the recipe. Mama tries to tell you the recipe, but mama puts some of her in it. What we used to say is she put her toes in that. I mean, she just jumped all in it. It's her. You can't produce it. It's her. But you go back to the recipe, and you sit there and say, now, okay, a cup of flour, butter, bake, 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 baking soda. Oh, forgot the. You go back to the recipe, and you trace your own steps and say, where did I miss it? Christianity is not complicated, y'all. It ain't complicated. Hard. Ain't complicated, though. And Peter gives us a great recipe. He said, do this. Now, if you taste your cake and it comes out a little, yeah, yeah, that that don't taste like a Christian cake to me. You go back and you figure out, where did I miss it? Did I miss it in moral excellence? Did I miss it in godliness? Did I miss it in perseverance? Did I miss it in brotherly kindness? Did I miss, where did I miss it? It's real easy, hard, but it's not complicated. And he says this, if you do these things, you, (laughs) you will never stumble. You do this, you will never stumble. Oh, I'm pressing for a perfect life from here on out. I've already blown in the past. I got that. But from here, I'm trying to figure out how can I live great for God. And Peter gives the prescription right here. Do this and you will never stumble. And entrance to the kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, very well, he might be talking about glory, but I don't think that's all he's talking about because when writers of the New Testament are talking about the kingdom... They're usually talking about it as being manifest on earth rather than just in heaven. And so I want the entrance, abundant entrance to the kingdom to be amply supplied here because I need kingdom principles in all that I do here. I need to to walk through doors here that are kingdom opened and provision in abundance. If you do these things, entrance to the kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you. And then lastly, he says... Now, I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm telling you these things because I'm trying to remind you, even though you already know this, something on the inside of you already knows that what I'm saying is true. It's not like I'm articulating anything new to you today. I'm just repeating what you already know to be true, even though you may not have read this passage before. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you is resonating, saying, that sounds right. That really is good. That feels like that's God. You know this to be true, but my job is to remind you of it. And then he says to stir you up by way of reminder so that you not only feel your your intellect stimulated, but you now sense, I got to do something about this. And then he says, my job is to stir you up by way of reminder to such a degree that after I'm gone, you're able to remind yourself. You need to get in this Bible and read and get revelation for yourself, insight for yourself. If I am not here, if there is no podcast, if the internet dies tomorrow, if all, your, if all the electricity busts and CDs don't work anymore, you are able to remind yourself of what is right. Got this principle of the recipe down in your soul and all you want to do is serve God every day. Let's pray.